0: You're listening to Sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. Building projects require a blueprint, a picture of the finished product, something to consistently reference during construction, a goal to work towards, a guide to follow. But what is the blueprint for the church? What picture is the reference for God's people? What is the guide for the Christian life? Jesus promises to build his church, but how? The blueprint for the church isn't a list of policies and procedures. It's not a plan for elaborate sanctuaries and classrooms. And it's not tips and tricks for increasing church attendance and budget. The blueprint for the church is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus who is equal to God. Jesus, who became a servant. Jesus, who died a sinner's death though he was innocent. Jesus, who God resurrected and highly exalted. Jesus, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess, he is Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a picture of humility and glory, a cross and a crown, sacrifice and exaltation. And it is the finished work Paul points to in the letter to the Philippians. It's the picture he looks to as he lives his life. It's the reference the Philippians followed to shape their church. The gospel is the blueprint we have to live our lives and build Christ's church.
1: Good morning, everyone. Hey, that was really good. Good job. Usually I have to do that three or four times uh, before people uh, are loud. Uh, I'm very happy to have the opportunity uh, to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Chris Kyle. Uh, My wife, Jess, and my two kiddos, Raya and Sylvie, have been coming here to GCC for about four years. Uh, And Jess and I lead one of the gospel community groups um, here at GCC. I'm very excited. I don't preach very often. I think this is the second time in 20 years that I've uh, preached. Uh, so if you're new here, you don't come here often, and you don't think the preacher did a good job, come back. Okay, it's not GCC. It's just it's just me. All right, uh, my wife and I have lived in a lot of places in the world and throughout the country, and we've experienced lots of different cultures. While there are a number of things that define cultures, uh, one thing is food. Anyone like food? Yeah, okay. Most of us, I think. So when we've traveled or lived abroad, we've eaten a lot of delicious food. Some terrible food, too, but lots of delicious food. From authentic Korean barbecue in South Korea, to basil chicken in Thailand, to street tacos in Mexico. Um, Now, of course, you can get those three things here in the U.S., right? But often, they pale in comparison to the real thing, right? So if you go to Taco Bell, yeah, and you get a taco, it's not going to be anything like a street taco uh, in Monterey, right? So there's a huge difference between a uh, Doritos cheesy gordita crunch with nacho cheese, right? And uh, an awesome beef taco from on the street. Now. It's unclear whether the head chef, if there even is a head chef of Taco Bell, probably more like a food engineer or something, but I'm not sure if that person could even point to Mexico on a map, let alone have been there, right? And they certainly were not mentored and trained by a chef in Mexico. They have some approximation of maybe what they think a taco should be, but they have got it wrong. Um, I also love pizza. Now, I think of pizza as an American food. I know it's not really. Is there really any real American food that's truly American? Probably not, but we all live in America, so I'm gonna say pepperoni pizza is an American food. And I love pepperoni pizza. Nothing fancy, just delicious American pepperoni pizza. Now, when I travel, after I've been out of the States for a while, uh, I crave a pepperoni pizza, Uh, and often I'm very disappointed. So once upon a time, Jess and I were traveling in Southwest China. We'd been living in South Korea for a while there. We're, we're traveling in Southwest China in kind of a touristy area. And on the menu is a pepperoni pizza. And I'm super excited, right? We've been living in South Korea for a long time. Not a whole lot of pizza there. I'll get to that. We're in this tiny town, Southwest China, and they said we can get pepperoni pizza. I'm so excited. It's going to be delicious, right? This delicious amalgamum of meat called pepperoni, right, on cheese. And it comes out. And it became very clear, the person who made this pepperoni pizza, who's marketing it, has never been to America and had pepperoni pizza. For what I got was a pizza with onions and peppers on it. And I'm sorry, but vegetables don't go on pizza. We can disagree about that, okay? Maybe some banana peppers, but pepperoni pizza is very different from bell peppers on a pizza. Um, South Korea, where I lived for a while, also has pizza. And the first time I went to get a pepperoni pizza in South Korea, There was pepperonis on the picture. I'm like, sweet, we're not going wrong. It comes out, and there's pepperoni on the pizza. There's also canned sweet corn on it, right? So whoever decided what is pizza had not been to America. They're like, huh, American thing, canned corn, sweet. Guys in the military base eat that. These pepperonis we get too, let's just toss it on top. This is American culture. This is American food, right? The point is that we often get it wrong, right? We have some approximation of what a culture is like, but unless we spend time studying that culture and with people from that culture, we don't get it. We screw it up. We make cheesy Doritos crunch gorditas instead of awesome street tacos. Um, Today, we're restarting our series on Philippians and we'll be working through chapter three, verses 17 17 through 21, if I can get that out of my mouth, uh, which is theologically very rich and has very important, if often ignored, implications for the lives of those who follow Christ. Um, Let's read this passage and then we'll pray together. All right, Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Uh, It should be up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we have a whole stack of Bibles on that back table. Um, Please grab one if you don't have one. Uh, If you don't own one, that Bible is yours to keep. Please take it home. It's a gift from GCC. Okay, Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me, And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of Christ, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Uh, let's pray. God, we praise you for who you are, the Almighty Creator of the universe. And we praise you for the gift of love and grace that you've given us in Jesus. I pray that you will speak through me today and that your spirit would soften the hearts of those who are here as I speak. God, I am weak and you are strong, I am foolish, and you are wise. I pray that your wisdom is taught today, uh, and that's what sticks, and anything foolish that comes out of my mouth goes through one ear and out the other of those who are listening today. God, we thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the main point of uh, this sermon today is that Christians walk as citizens of heaven. Again, Christians walk as citizens of heaven. Now, this passage has... Three sections, or at least I'm dividing it up into three sections. And we're going to work our way through each one, starting at the end and working back to the beginning. Uh, So the first sub-point today is that Jesus has made his followers citizens of heaven. Uh, Let's read verses 20 through 21 again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what the gospel gives us at the moment of our conversion, the moment we decide to trust in Jesus and trust in His salvation is citizenship in heaven. Now for us living in the Pacific Northwest uh, in a sort of jaded time in history, uh, citizenship may not evoke a particularly strong feeling of belonging for us. Uh, for people who have lived their whole lives as U.S. citizens, it's likely it's something that we take for granted um, or even depending on how we feel about uh, the government or what's going on in the world, it may even give us a negative connotation, okay? Um, People often today have a stronger affinity for a political party, perhaps, okay, or a social ideology um, than with their citizenship in the US. However, if you've ever lived abroad, okay, or traveled abroad, or perhaps even grew up abroad, or maybe if you are a member of our uh, armed forces or have family uh, in the armed forces, you likely better appreciate the benefits and the freedoms that come with our citizenship in the US. For the Philippians, the concepts of citizenship was a very important part of the, their identity. This is who Paul's writing to. So Philippi was a Roman outpost in Macedonia, right? Not part of the core Roman empire, but an outpost of the Roman empire. Um, the Philippians were given or gifted Roman citizenship due in part to some military help they provided, okay? But they don't live in Rome proper. They live outside of Rome proper, but they're given citizenship. And this gives them special privileges, okay? Um, it, may, it raises their social standing out, uh, above those in the surrounding area, okay? Again, this is a very important part of their identity, okay? In this passage, Paul is highlighting the fact that Philippians are emissaries of Roman culture and power, okay? And just like this, Christians are emissaries of God's holiness, love, and power. So the people of God, his church, um, are citizens of heaven, okay? We have been given citizenship not by something we have done, but through Jesus' perfect life and sacrifice. And we're called to be this outpost of heaven, Waiting for the day when the Savior transforms our lowly, sin craving, sickness prone bodies to be like His holy one. Okay, so at that time, right, if conquering armies came to Philippi to attack Rome, they would be waiting for the Savior of the Emperor to come with his armies and rescue them, right? What we are waiting for is the kingdom of God that's coming. Um, What's difficult for us as we work through this, as we think about this theologically as Christians, is the fact that we're not in the kingdom. We don't feel like we're in the kingdom. We live in this world, right? So Christians live in a theological tension. Those who put their faith in Jesus for salvation are citizens of heaven. We're already citizens. We're adopted children of God. But we live in this world. We only have a taste of what the coming kingdom is going to be like, okay? And this can be very difficult for us as we think about how we should live, right? It's hard to figure out how to make good street tacos when what's around us is nacho cheesy gorditas. I need to stop using that example. But, but this idea, the fact that we are of the kingdom of God, but we're still waiting for it to come fully, uh, has very important implications for the way we live. This summer, my family and I took a trip back to Arkansas where Jess's family has lived for the past almost 30 years. And I've lived in the South uh, for almost 12 years of my 40. Um, and I went to college there. Jess and I met after college in Arkansas. Um, and we had a great time there. But we remember, we were reminded of how terrible the summers can be. Has anyone experienced the summer in the South? Okay, it is hot. It is humid. It was 100 degrees, lots of days. The humidity felt like it was 95%, okay? And the summer lasts forever. So as we come into this season, right? As we come into fall, Labor Day marks the unofficial end of summer, right? And in September, I don't know what, 21st, 22nd, we have the official calendar beginning of fall. As that calendar official start of fall comes in Arkansas and Georgia and other places in the South, you might get a couple hints of coolness right? The calendar says it's fall. We get a couple hints of coolness. We get this taste of fall, but the full real realization of fall isn't there yet. We know we still have to wait six, seven, eight more weeks until we get the glory of fall. And fall in the south really is beautiful, okay? And it lasts forever as well. Um, So our experience as Christians is much the same. We're officially redeemed children of God, And we experience tastes of his kingdom on earth, but we eagerly await the full experience of the kingdom of God when Jesus will come and make all things new and right, and he will reign over all. In this morning's passage and other passages throughout scripture, we are called to live lives that are holy and set apart, that are worthy of the kingdom that is coming. Okay, we are called to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom should live. But I want to be very, very clear here. We do not attempt to live as citizens of the kingdom because we are trying to earn citizenship, okay? And it's very easy to make that mistake, right? To look at scripture, see all the passages that say, live holy and righteous lives and say, we're doing that because we're earning something. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Our distance from God is so great that there's nothing we could ever do that could earn our place in that kingdom. It is freely given to us. And this is clear throughout scripture as well, okay? We live out of a growing understanding of the gift of citizenship and in anticipation of that kingdom to come, out of a full appreciation of the gift that we have been given. You see, the cross represents two things. First, it represents unmerited freedom from the cost of sin, right? The cross of Jesus Christ is our justification. We stand before God blameless because he looks at Jesus' life instead of ours but it also represents an example of how we should live. Uh, I'm going to read from Romans 6, 1 through 4, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay. So we don't try to conform to the kingdom to earn entrance into the kingdom. We've been given that, right? We set our lives on the example of Christ and walk that way out of appreciation for our citizenship and in a fuller, and growing understanding of who God is and our love for him. Okay. So why should we live lives that are worthy of the gospel? Why should Christians walk as citizens of heaven? Not because of what we are trying to earn, but because we desire to live out of our true identities as who we are. That is citizens of heaven. Okay. Point two, the pull of the fallen world is strong. Okay. So why does Paul feel the need to remind the Philippians of their true citizenship? If we fully understand that we are citizens of, of the kingdom, and we're going to live out of that, right? Why does Paul need to remind people of that? It's like, oh, I checked it off. I understand. Let's live that way. Let's live as citizens of the kingdom. Uh, Let's take a look again at verses 18 through 19. So for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So scholars disagree about precisely who Paul is referring to or the specific instances of sin he may be referencing. But most scholars seem to agree that Paul is most likely referring to individuals who at one time proclaimed Christ, but now in truth are enemies of Christ, those who have fallen away, even if they still claim to be Christians. Okay? Their minds are not set on their citizenship in heaven or on God's coming eternal kingdom. Their minds are set on things of this world, right? We have... Their end is destruction, so they're not going to the kingdom, right? They're going to be destroyed as Jesus comes and conquers this world again, okay? Um, Their bellies, this is a metaphor probably for their appetites, the things of this world that pull at them, okay? Um, Their bellies are their authority or their treasure or their God, okay? So when they decide what to do, when they're faced with a decision, they don't follow God's wisdom, they follow their bellies, Right, I'm kind of bored this weekend. I want to be fulfilled. What do I do? I'm going to go satisfy my earthly desires, right? Go get drunk. Go do whatever instead of following Christ, okay, and looking to him. They glory in their shame. And enemies of the cross of Christ glory in things that in God's eyes are shameful. Um, This is like proudly entering a classic car rally full of beautiful 1960s and 70s Corvettes, Mustangs, and Chevelles. Okay, actually, I think Ian Wheeler, who may have just stepped out, uh, he rebuilt with his dad a classic Chevelle with a 454 uh, engine in it. Beautiful car, okay? So it would be like entering this, a car rally, uh, like this, with your 2003 PT Cruiser. And you're like, check out my hot rod, guys. I've got... The flame paint. I got the sick wheels. Check out my classic car. Isn't it awesome? Okay. The things that we glory in in this earth is as silly as glorying in your amazing PT Cruiser, which, by the way, is the worst car ever marketed or sold in the U.S. If you drive one, I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Sometimes you got to drive what you got to drive, but you're probably not going to be glorying in it. Yet, this is what Paul says enemies of the cross of Christ do. Okay. Okay and it's evident all around us. A quick look through social media, listening to the lyrics of popular songs, observing scenes and themes from popular TV shows and movies to conversations at work, okay? We see people glorying in shameful things, even in the church. Even songs and artists that our society has more or less deemed acceptable, like Jimmy Buffett, who died a couple of days ago, okay? Glory in a life that is in direct conflict with what we are called to in Christ, okay? Furthermore, these shameful things are compelling. I don't know if you knew this, but Jimmy Buffett died a billionaire, okay? He marketed a life that glorified hanging out on the beach, getting drunk, getting laid, right? So he identified a problem, which I think we can, most of us agree with, right? That American culture teaches us to work really hard, get good jobs, buy houses, do all these things, build up this material wealth. And he was like, ah, that's ridiculous, Okay, we don't need to do all that. Let's hang out, relax. So he was right in that he identified a problem with our world, but his solution was something that is very worldly, right? It feels good, okay? And people bought into it. You can buy Margaritaville glasses. You can go on Margaritaville cruises. You can even retire in a Margaritaville retirement home. Who wouldn't want that, right? The point here right, isn't necessarily stop listening to Jimmy Buffett. The problem or the point is that the pull of the world is strong. Probably our first thought when we think of Jimmy Buffett isn't, oh, that person's an enemy of the cross of Christ, right? We think of beach vacations, right? And release from our, the drudgery of everyday life. In so many cases, the flesh, things that are shameful in the sight of God are glorified. Drunkenness, sex, greed, among others, various identities that we take on and proclaim loudly on social media. And these things are glorified almost to the degree that we don't even notice anymore. And because of that, they can seep into our lives, into our understanding of who God is, wrongly, and into our church. So again, why would Paul need to highlight this issue with the Philippians? Isn't it the case he's writing to Christians who fully understand and cherish their citizenship? In heaven, who live and breathe every moment in conscious union with Christ. Isn't that your daily experience? Don't you feel it all the time? That's, a, that, that's, I don't expect that. That's not how I feel all the time, right? We live in this world. We feel the world's pull. We live in a physical and fallen world. And as we read scripture, this isn't anything new. Time and time again, we see God's people tempted to worship created things instead of the creator. From Adam and Eve to Cain to the Israelites worshiping the golden calf in Exodus 32, to the Israelite judges doing what was right in their own eyes, all the way up to the Pharisees of Jesus' time, who were lovers of money and, and worldly praise. Scripture outlines again and again that humans are prone to set their mind on earthly things, and we are no different. I'd just like to highlight quickly the point that while we often focus on these big sins, what we often do is say, Oh, yeah, look at these big these big things that are worldly, right? Drunkenness, uh, different types of uh, sexual sins, maybe even love of money or love of power. And we see those things and either we say, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that, right? I'm not worldly. I, I don't do these big things. Or maybe we focus on our own shame and focus on those things that we have done in the past, okay? We set those things up. Often, the ways in which we worship created things instead of the Creator we forget about our citizenship in heaven or despise it is much more subtle, at least in American culture, socially acceptable. So things like, I love being out in nature. I love rock climbing. I, I have for a long time. I love hiking, being in the mountains. And it, these things are not necessarily bad, right? Going hiking, spending time rock climbing, whatever you do outside is not bad. But if I start to worship that thing, okay, man, my job really is not good. I'm having a bad day. I have too many responsibilities. You know what will make my life better? It'll make my life better if I can just get out there, if I can just go on a hike, okay? If I can just get out in creation, my life will be better. And on a scale, small scale, it might feel good. And that it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when I look to that as my hope and salvation, then I have a problem. Fitness is another thing, right? We have a lot of people in this church who do CrossFit, Those of you who don't probably scorn those people, but we'll uh, just go there. But, um, right, fitness can be our hope, right? If we're fit, if we can only lose five pounds or be a little stronger, people will like us more and look at us better. We worship that idea of our bodies. Or maybe it's our way to earn longer life, right? If we just work out every day, we're going to live longer and won't be sick. Okay, again, working out is not a bad thing. But when we put our hope in that thing, we're living as citizens of the world, not as citizens of the kingdom. Okay, lots of other things that can be in that category, but I will um, move on. Uh, another thing that is that can pull us, I'll give one more example here, is our political or social identities, right? On the one hand, um, we might desire social justice and put a lot of hope in causes for social justice. The insidious thing that happens though, is even though there are good things that we do, right? Christ um, cared for those who were less, um, who were social outcasts, who had lower social standing. He wants justice, right? And so we can easily be drawn into causes like social justice causes. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's really easy to turn from, we love Christ, so we're going to do something this is right to do, to looking at that thing and saying, my hope for the world is that we have social justice, right? That that's the hope for our world instead of Jesus being the hope for the world. Because no matter how good or bad our society is at this present moment, it's falling away, just like all societies before ours, right? Same thing with if we really, really care about having our laws of this land align with our Christian beliefs, right? I don't think it's a bad thing, for our laws to align with our beliefs. In First Timothy 2, verses one through two, Paul says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a, quiet, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So it's not bad to want uh, for our culture to be at least in some lockstep with Christian beliefs. That's not a bad thing. But when we put all of our hope in those laws, and in our government being perfectly aligned with our Christian beliefs and what scripture teaches, we have a problem, right? If we turn all of our focus on that, because this nation, like all nations before it, is falling away, right? The U.S. is not gonna last forever, but the kingdom of God will last forever. Point three, the church is an outpost of Christ's kingdom. Let's read verse 17, coming back to the beginning. Brothers, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. As Christians, we are called to spread the gospel of Christ throughout the world, but we are not intended to do it alone. Much like Philippi was an outpost of Roman culture and power, the church is an outpost of Christ's kingdom. So how do we as citizens of heaven set our minds on Christ and walk as citizens of the kingdom do? Paul gives us very clear directions here. Follow the example of those who walk according to Paul's example, i.e. people who follow Christ. Clearly, this means we should look to other Christians as examples. And it also means we should be examples to other Christians as we mature. I I find it interesting here that Paul didn't say, walk as Christ walked. This is interesting because clearly that's what he means, right? Because just before that, he said he is doing his best to walk as Christ, in the example of Christ, So why did he say, walk as I walked? Is it because he's super arrogant? I mean, maybe. What I would posit is that the Philippians know Paul. He's lived with them, right? Just like this physical world has a strong pull, he's giving them a concrete example that they know, they've seen, they've experienced of someone who walks this way. He goes on, right? Join in imitating me, but also keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, Paul and Timothy. Okay, so importantly, in order to keep our eyes on those who follow Christ, we need to be in Christian community. We can't keep our eyes on those who follow Christ if we isolate ourselves from other Christians. In our culture, we have this strong feeling of individualism, Okay, again, culture seeps into us and we have this strong feeling of individualism. And we also, in Eugene, I work at the university. Uh, I see it all the time. This idea with you think what you think and I'll think what I'll think. And as long as we don't step on each other's toes, everything is good, right? And so what that, that can breed for Christians is this idea that, you know what? I'm going to walk on my own. I might go to church on Sundays if it fills me up right? If I like what people are saying, if it aligns with what I think, uh, but I can pretty much do this on my own, okay? Um, But that's not what Paul is saying here, right? He's saying that we need to be in community because we can't keep our eyes on people who are imitating Jesus if we're by ourselves, okay? Um, As an undergraduate student, I studied English literature and Spanish language and literature. In my Spanish classes, I gained a lot of knowledge about grammar I gained an overview of cultural norms in some Spanish-speaking countries. I read Spanish novels, plays, and poetry. I learned a lot of important things about the Spanish language and about some of the cultural underpinnings of its speakers. However, I didn't really learn how to appropriately communicate in Spanish or thrive in a Spanish-speaking context until I had an opportunity to speak with people who spoke Spanish, right? Either around in the community around my university, uh, or in Spanish-speaking countries. So the point here is in order to learn how to live in a kingdom, we have to spend time with the people of the kingdom. In order to learn the language of a culture, we have to spend time trying to communicate with individuals in that culture. Okay? Now, I want to be clear, in his letters, Paul is very clear that knowledge about the kingdom is essential. Right? Reading God's word is essential to understanding who he is and what he calls us to. In 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So scripture is essential. But we are not just called to knowledge, but to action. Notice the verbs used in this verse, imitate and walk. Here, Paul is not saying to look at those who just think like he does, but to keep their eyes on those who walk as he does. We are not meant to simply sit around and agree upon doctrinal statements, although this is important. We are meant to live out our identities as citizens of Christ's kingdom and follow the examples set by Christ, Paul, and the faithful who came after. In order to follow these examples, we need to be in community. So practically speaking, as we wrap up, what does this look like? First, we need to be in the Word. If we're not in the Word, how can we possibly differentiate between those who walk as followers of Christ and those who walk as followers of the world and let me tell you, folks, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, a lot of churches who follow the world and not scripture. We need to be in the word. But we also need to be in Christian community. There are a lot of ways to do these. I'm going to give three examples here. And I would encourage you to, to think about these as and statements. So we should do this and this and this, not or, okay, as a, as a set of options. So first, I would strongly encourage you to serve with our brothers and sisters on Sunday mornings, okay? Uh, It's a great way to actually get to know people, to build relationships with the church community, to see how others are walking. So we have lots of teams. I'll mention a few of them here. Greeting team, kids ministry team, setup team, hospitality team, the worship team, et cetera. There are lots and lots and lots of opportunities to serve here. And we build relationships by serving with our uh, fellow Christians. Second, I would invite you to share your lives with others by inviting someone over for dinner or out to coffee. Um, I've lived a lot of places and that seems normal in some of the places I've lived, especially in the South. In uh, Eugene, for some reason, that seems weird to invite someone into your home. It feels awkward for lots of people, but it's really difficult to live lives in a community if we don't share part of our lives with that community. Okay? Uh, as anyone who's come over to our house knows, your house doesn't have to look perfect. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Our identity is not in how clean our house is or how delicious the food is. My wife makes awesome food, just to be clear. But sometimes I might invite you over and get a Papa Murphy's pizza, okay? The food isn't the point, right? The community, the sharing is the point, okay? And if someone asks you over, overcome the awkwardness, overcome the slight discomfort and say yes, hang out with them. Even if they offer you a Papa Murphy's pizza, I'll probably bait and switch you. (laughs) I'll say I'm going to cook something delicious and then run out of time. <clears throat> okay. The last, one last way we can be in Christian community is joining and participating in a gospel community group. It's really easy to come here on Sunday and be filled up, say hi, have some usually superficial conversations, which isn't bad, right, around the coffee or afterwards. Um, but gospel community groups are the place where we can really get to know people. Where we sit around each week, We share our lives with each other. We share the things we're struggling in. We work through scriptures together, share confusion, share difficulties, and ultimately point each other to Christ in the different situations that our life comes in. It is really difficult to do this in any other setting, at least in our modern um, view of church, right? We are starting a new year. As I mentioned before, Labor Day is the beginning of a new school year. My kid, My oldest kiddo will go to school this week. If you have kiddos, your kiddos may have already started sports. They're starting school this year. If you work in the school system, that's starting. We're setting up our lives for the next school year right now, right? Lots of things are kicking off. Now is an excellent time to decide to live in Christian community and start living for the kingdom and learning how to walk as Christians walk. Um, You can sign up for those gospel community groups at the Connect table. You can talk to me. You can talk to Zach, Hannah, um, other leaders who are here. Ian's here. Um, They lead a group as well. Um, Please make that decision to be in Christian community. Okay. In conclusion, Christians live like citizens of Christ's kingdom. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom, those who are Christians, living in a foreign land. We know Christ is coming to reign and rule over everything, to remake the world in his image, but our lives are lived on this earth. In our day-to-day lives, we're surrounded by people who choose to make their appetites for created things their gods, who make shameful things seem glorious, whose eyes are set on earthly things. The pull of this world is strong, but we are called to worship something better than our bellies, to glory in the only thing that's truly glorious, to set our minds on Christ and to walk following the example of Christ and those who follow him. In order to learn to live... Like citizens of the kingdom, we need to live in community with citizens of that kingdom, learning its customs and its language, if you will. Okay? Again, I'm not exhorting you to do these things so that God will love you more. If you are a follower of Christ, when he looks at you, he sees the perfection of, of Jesus. There's nothing you could do to make him love you more. But if we truly understand the gospel, we understand that we are not just forgiven. We are called to a new life in Christ as citizens of his kingdom. Let us live out this identity and community as we expectantly wait for his kingdom to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we praise you for your glory. We praise you for who you are. We praise you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we deserved. God, we pray that you will help us to avoid the pull of the world, that we'll fully appreciate the gift that we've been given uh, in your son. And as we grow in that understanding of your gift, God, I pray that we will turn our eyes towards you and turn our hearts towards you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.